Yo. Yo, 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 yo. Ladies, gentlemen, and everybody else, welcome to God in Film, the podcast where a Christian and atheist dive into the best that cinema has to offer and see if we can find any parallels with the gospel or any other Bible stories. I'm film critic and last son of Krypton, Giles Goff. And I'm test engineer and Phantom Zone escapee, Phil Coleman. And to kick off our brand new series, Series 5, can you believe it? Five. We will be looking at superheroes. Hey. We'll be going right back to the start. Today, we're going to be looking at the first superhero film of the modern age. The first one to take it seriously. We're talking 1978 Superman the movie, starring the irreplaceable... Christopher Reeve. What a guy. Phil, what did you think of this film? Oh, I remember watching this film on telly years ago at my grand's house. <laughs> it was the first kind of like older film I remember watching where I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant. <laughs> you know, like, especially Christopher Reeve as well. Like, Christopher Reeve may have successors, but he will never have a replacement. No. There is only one. Dom Gallagher on Facebook said, Christopher Reeve's performance is iconic, and we cannot agree with you more on that front. I, I love this film. Yeah, I love Superman too. And in honor of the character, we're recording this episode in a lead-lined studio <laughs> deep within our fortress of solitude. Yes. Now, Phil, you know I love Phil's facts. Oh, yeah. I love them. Oh, I know. Absolutely. Nobody can copy and paste from IMDb <laughs> quite like you, my man. It's the way you tell them. So, <laughs> <laughs> But for this season, we're going to switch it up a bit. We're going to be learning from one of the greatest comic book aficionados of our time. Women want to be with him. Men want to be him. I do. Cage fighters want him to hold them in his arms and tell them that everything's going to be all right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for <gasps> Matt's Facts. Matt's Facts. Take it away, Matt. Today we're talking about Superman. Now, Superman was created, as many people know, by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. Superman first debuted in Action Comics number one in April 1938. However, we came very close to having a very different Superman. Siegel and Schuster actually met each other several years before when they were at high school and first released in one of their magazines a short story entitled Beware the Reign of the Superman. In this, Superman was a villain called Bill Dunn, who could read minds, control minds, and, and didn't go very far. They tried showing it to quite a few different publishers at the time, and it kept getting rejected. Mm -hmm. To which they decided they would try a second prototype. Now, this prototype was another human. This gained their powers from ingesting some formula. But this Superman had super strength and bulletproof skin and hunted like a vigilante, but again kept getting refused. Mm -hmm. At this point, they both stepped back and it wouldn't be till a few years later when they came up and were asked to create a new character and they thought they'd go back, make something new of their old concept. This Superman was not from Krypton. He was from real. He <laughs> <laughs> might have been. Superman anyway. Turn your boy. This Superman was actually from the far future, where the last surviving man sent his three-year-old child 
back in time. This Superman was found on arrival by <laughs> Sam and Molly Kent. Okay. I love the idea that, that sort of Jerry she- Siegel and Joe Schuster, these two Jewish kids, have like a little Rolodex of like Anglo-Saxon names that they just kind of spin through and go, Molly, Martha, Mylene, you know, and just kind of try to sound <laughs> as middle America as possible. Oh, definitely. So eventually they both sat down again, came through and came up with Superman as we know him. Right, okay. From the planet Krypton, destroyed in a natural disaster, sent to Earth, found by John and Martha Kent, Superman was born. And they created him this time for an anthology series called Action Comics. And it struck gold. People loved Superman. It was brilliant. Originally, though, this Superman was known for being very aggressive and using excessive force, often killing people. This was in the time before the Comics Code Authority. The Comics Code Authority, they don't come until, I want to say, the 60s? Late 60s, early 70s, from right. what I recall. Okay. But what saved them was one of the editors at DC at the time, mm-hmm. and he didn't want heroes killing people. Right. Now, this led to the personality change, much closer to the Boy Scout Superman we know and love today. Mm-hmm. Originally, he was still a vigilante, but by 1942, they'd shown him working with the police. And thus, almost fully by that point, the Superman who has maintained and stayed along with us has was born. Mm-hmm. Superman himself was one of the first comic book characters to have their own serial and own radio show. Oh, really? uh, by serial, I mean TV show. Yeah. Is that the, so, is that the George Reeves TV George show? Reeves was the TV one. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will think back and they think, Superman, strongest man alive, can bend steel, can jump higher than a building. Yeah. Originally, he couldn't fly. And it was actually the radio show which introduced the idea of Superman being able to fly. Oh, that's fascinating. Because it's funny, whenever you hear about Superman and when they say he can leap tall buildings in a single bound, you're like, yeah, he can fly. This is kind of redundant, you know, his, his, his ability well, to jump. Well, originally, he didn't. That's all he could. And it was his strength, his great strength, that allowed himself to be propelled right. over these buildings. He's he's another character who has been affected so much by the things that have been made around him, mm. all the ancillary shows and other media. It's amazing to find out. But it's also intriguing to see how times affected yeah. him. I think at one point in the 70s, he was a TV reporter. He he's, was indeed. He's an on-air, on-air correspondent. And then they just kind of went, nah. <laughs> they just got bored of that idea. I mean, if there was ever a way for someone to go, hang on, that guy looks familiar. <laughs> <laughs> it surely <laughs> <be on> <laughs> Now, the periodical as well, the Superman periodical, along with Action Mm. Comics, the Superman one has actually ran uninterrupted since 1939. Oh, wow. Now, as everyone knows, I'll touch on this, I'm sure, in a bit, Superman has died a few times. Yeah. The most recent of which, of the three times he's actively died... (laughs) The three times he's actively died... There's, there are some sentences which you hear them out loud and you go, yeah, 
Yeah, of course, naturally. <laughs> oh, oh, definitely. <laughs> Superman has died three times. Mm-hmm. The first one, he died at the hands of Lex Luthor and some kryptonite, the irradiated remains of his planet. Mm-hmm. Um, the next issue said that was imaginary, never happened. Carry on. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Just, just keep pushing forward. But then in 1993... Now, this is the biggie. This is the biggie. Mm-hmm. Doomsday came to Earth. Right. Now, Doomsday's a monster. Doomsday comes to Earth for months. This creature going from one point of the US to another point mm-hmm. and just leaving broken and bloodied heroes in his path. Right. This is a threat. This is a big threat. Yeah. And then it comes down to Superman. And they had a massive, massive fight. I'm sure everyone has at one point seen the rod with Superman's tattered cape yeah. coming off it. And then afterwards, everybody's wearing, all the all the remaining superheroes are wearing black armbands with the Superman shield on it, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it was such a big thing. Mm-hmm. It was actually covered by newspapers radio stations news stations it was on the cover of a few of the big magazines <laughs> superman is dead when the next issue came out it didn't help anything there was there was no clarity <laughs> okay he was still dead he <laughs> was still dead okay and it it's because it was actually at the time three arcs so the first arc was the death of superman mm-hmm. The second arc, which started shortly after, and as you said, it featured the heroes with the armbands. Mm -hmm. This was called the Funeral for a Friend arc. Oh, fascinating. And it led into probably the second most well-known Superman storyline, which is Reign of the Supermen, where four wannabe Supermen appear. Is one of them Steel? One of them was Steel. Right. John Henry Irons. Mm -hmm. So these four Supermen came out. You Mm -hmm. had the first one, as you said, Steel. This was an engineer who built himself in that suit of armour that granted him the powers, goes round with a a big large sledgehammer. Still quite a bit of a mainstay. Uh, You then had Superboy, which ultimately was revealed to be a clone of Lex Luthor and Superman, and you had the Eradicator. Okay. Which was a Kryptonian backup program who pretty much harkened back to that original Superman of aggressive and lethal force. Right. And then on top of that, you had a guy who was pretty much an identical to Superman. But there was something a bit off. And it was eventually revealed that this was the cyborg Superman. Is this the dude in the black costume? No. No. The black suit Superman you referenced was actually Superman. Ah, fab. Okay. Some of his Kryptonian bots from the Fortress of Solitude had taken him. And they basically found he was very faintly still alive. Of course. And were healing him up with yellow solar rays to bring him back. Matt, thank you so much for talking to us. I cannot wait to talk to you again. No problem. A pleasure as always. Speak to you all soon. 
Hi there, I'm Natalie Minica, writer, RS teacher and first reserve on the God in Film co-host bench. I just wanted to tell you that God in Film now has a Patreon page. Just go to www.patreon.com slash Podcast to support the show. There you can find the episode notes for every episode, the God in Music episode featuring Sefa Ahiaku Agre, and now we have the special God in Gaming episode featuring yours truly and Cat Bullock from Finger Guns. Here's a clip. Sounds great. The one for me, I think, was fairly obvious. Uh, it was obviously Mario Kart. Uh, I think <laughs> massive safe... biblical parallels. So, well, massive biblical parallels because, yeah, because obviously, uh, you know, the the entire point of the game is about racing. And uh, St. Paul himself said in 2 Timothy 4, 17, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So in many ways, I feel it was quite obvious there. Do you know what? When you are in first place in Mario Kart and you get blue shelled two seconds from the finish line, you do start wow. questioning your the existence <laughs> of a higher being. Yeah. It is it is a game that very much embodies the phrase "uneasy lies the head that wears the crown." Do you know what? When I'm in first place in Mario Kart, that means that I'm looking at the wrong screen and <laughs> somebody else. I'm the guy who's actually driving into the bumpers somewhere along the line. If you'd like to support the podcast, your money will go towards the running costs of the show and they will be eternally grateful. And if you can't support them financially, that's okay too. So you can help out just by telling someone about the show or liking and sharing the show on social media. I have known Giles for over 20 years now and he never gets bored of people telling him how great he is. And, you know, he's all right. Now, back to the show. So, Phil, those were Matt's facts. What did you think? Well, I must say, even though I cannot be replaced, there can be successors, as we discussed <laughs> earlier. Um, <laughs> no, I thought that was great. <laughs> if there was anybody who could be considered an encyclopedic knowledge of comics, it would be him and his mind. They they would have to be the first consideration. I did not know there were quite so many Supermen. I knew there were a couple of different yeah. versions of him, but like Cyborg Superman just came in right yeah. at the end there, which I'm not Welsh so sure Superman. about. Hello! <laughs> Last son of Krypton, do we? They've got any bar of brith. <laughs> it's been... It's been I can't even, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I, I, uh, I lose it. Here's my Welsh accent. Hello. I'm doing my best. I, uh, I'm, I'm Superman. My name's John Superman. <laughs> and I mean, I think the thing I like is the fact that the character is uh, getting on for 90 years old now. And there's just been so many different creators that just want to sort of play with that and tweak it and put their own little stamp on it you know I think that's what's good about superman is is the sense that like he's he's a great canvas to build off as characters mm, go definitely now phil this next guest is such a bundle of joy and enthusiasm we couldn't not have him on the show again he's incredibly knowledgeable and I'm willing to bet he did zero extra research for this interview. He just knows it all off the top of my head. I'll let him introduce himself. Hello, my name's Chris Chapman. I guess I'm a documentary maker for telly. Uh, I've been nominated for BAFTA, RTS award wins. So I make telly documentaries. But I think most nerds know me from connections to the Doctor Who uh, range that the BBC put out and I make lots of documentaries and films about Doctor Who but one of my side projects has been a new edit 
of Superman 2 combining the theatrical cut and the Richard Donner cut. <laughs> and I suspect this is why Giles has invited me here today to talk about Superman. Yeah, that and 20 years ago, you wouldn't shut up about Superman, basically. <laughs> so that's great. Mr. Chapman, it is fantastic to have you back on again. Let's get into it. Superman. Why was there a desire for a Superman film in the late 70s? When I think movie nerds think of the 70s, you know, you think of that very political, quite angry, sometimes nihilistic approach of, of early 70s movies in particular that, that has made that that era of movies so memorable when we look back you know things like i guess kind of all the president's men th things like the parallax view even the godfather films there, there's that sense of you know the world is is a is a tough nasty place full of anti-heroes and that it's basically uh, the fallout of things like watergate and and the vietnam war ending really isn't it that's right you know they're, they're hugely for movies you go from musicals being the biggest thing in the world you think of sound of music is like the biggest film of the 60s mm -hmm. and then the 70s come in and everything is a bit more cynical and everything is is done on the assumption as you say with Watergate that the people in charge the people behind the scenes are probably corrupt are probably trying to kill you there's a lot of paranoia so even genre stuff like science fiction turns darker and nastier you know and, there, and there's a cynicism to films like uh, you know like 2001 like, like 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 Planet of the Apes like kind of Soylent Green that just isn't there Mm -hmm. when you look at those movies before that point. And I think something really interesting happens around 1976, two years before Superman, when kind of collectively Hollywood and audiences say, actually, maybe we've had enough of anti-heroes for a bit. Can we just have some heroes back? Wouldn't that be nice just to see? And, and I, think, I think a real turning point for that is Rocky. Is Sylvester Stallone writes a script for Rocky. He said himself in interviews, he just felt sick of heroes who weren't heroes. Mm. And it it wins big. You know, Rocky wins and it wins the Oscar for Best mm. Picture and it makes a lot of money. And there's a kind of, I think, a sense then that, okay, people want to be entertained and they want a big hero that they can cheer. And it's no coincidence, I don't think, that then, you know, the next year in 77, you get Star Wars. Yeah. And, and it's pure heroics you know the, uh, these are heroes who are larger than life and 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 the, 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 there's a dirtiness still there's that 70s grime but it is heroic and, and I did I wonder that whether that, whether Star Wars would have had an impact I imagine something that comes out like that uh Star Wars is I want to say is it 20th Century Fox originally or am I imagining that um, no it is it is yeah. it is and, um, I mean, so and, and what and, probably happens is the you then all the studios go well well what IP have we got that will work along those lines the timing with Star Wars is more coincidental than anything that basically Superman starts principal photography before Star Wars is is released oh really you know so so unlike something like Star Trek then Star Trek the motion picture mm. which is directly heavily impressed. becomes a movie because Star Wars is a hit yeah Superman is almost something of its own but I think it owes something to to the fact that I guess I guess something like Jaws even yeah. though it's got its cynicism Jaws has been such a a mainstream blockbuster and then Rocky has shown us that we still love heroes. And then you've got Superman. You've got the ultimate hero, the least cynical hero you could ever have. The least seventies, <laughs> the least seventies hero. You know, it, it's and that's why it's interesting that you get a movie where Clark Kent is played as a kind of a wonderful Cary Grant throwback. But effects have just come up to a point where they can actually achieve this. They can actually do Superman justice on screen. And they've never been at that point. So it's it's a reversal of cynicism 
and effects being in exactly the right moment to actually achieve this. What was the phrase? Uh, You'll believe a man can fly, I think, was the tagline. Yeah, Yeah. the the sheer inventiveness of of Richard Donner. There's a lovely bit. I'd never noticed this before when after Superman has has taken Lois for like a a, a moonlit flight across Hmm. Metropolis, uh, she waves him off and we see her in the foreground as he flies off beyond her. Uh, And then there's a knock on the door and she goes to the door and it's Clark Kent at the door and it's all done in one shot. And you're like, how have you done? And 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 they've done it with rear projection. You know, they've had a big screen up and they've pre-filmed Superman taking off to have Lois reacting to a movie picture, really. But they do it beautifully. So I I don't think, I think you'd have to know it was a, a trick. Right. to actually spot it. So they're, they're very clever. They're very clever. In what way do you think Christopher Reeves' Superman stands out from all the, the all the other Supermen we've had since? It's such a great piece of casting. And they, they, they were talking about giving it to a big Hollywood star and whether it might be Robert Redford or Paul Newman or, you know, any, any, like the idea. But the lovely thing with about Reeve is he came to that role with no baggage. Mm. So nobody had really seen him in, you know, general audiences hadn't seen him in anything since then. And and sadly, the, the tragedy of Reeves' early death and the fact that he was typecast afterwards and never had a career is that in retrospect, we still see him purely as Superman. Yeah. You know, we're not seeing an actor who did other jobs. We, I, we might see him in, in, in Village of the Damned or Remains of the Day and these smaller roles, but he's so beautiful in that part. And the fact that he manages to be a Clark Kent who, as I say, is kind of is is straight out of a 1930s screwball comedy mm. who is painfully awkward and funny and still endearing you know you don't get annoyed with clark but you can very much tell that reeve has decided i guess every superman actor has to decide this don't they who is the real superman just, yeah. just like the thing with batman so when you watch like kind of uh, the uh, the dean kane and terry hatcher superman of the 90s it's clear that that i think clark is the real superman in that one but I think Reeve decides very much that uh, mostly in the movie, Clark is a disguise. Mm. Clark is there to kind of put you off the scent. And so the fact that he's only got glasses on and we're going, that's a, that's a rubbish disguise. It's a perfect disguise when it's Christopher Reeve because he changes his whole posture. There's a moment when he, when he goes from being uh, Clark to being Superman and he just kind of rises up yeah. on, his, on his spine and suddenly you go, whoa! This is this is a this guy's huge and and, and great. <laughs> and I think I think the thing I love it's the fact that he plays Superman as the most polite, that dignity of of courage and and righteousness and 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 doing the right thing can be done not in an angry way, but in a way that suit that that Reeve as Superman is the most polite yeah. superhero who you will ever meet. There's a fantastic scene where. When Lewis is up in a helicopter crash at the top of the the Daily Planet building, and uh, Superman get, gets changed very quickly in the revolving doors, and and uh, a, a, a guy on the street is like, "Hey man, I love the clothes," and and tries to interrupt him, and Reeve turns to him and says, "Excuse me," and then flies off, and and he's he's, he's apologising, he's apologising and saying, I, "I know you'd like to talk to me now, but I'm going to save this lady," but he doesn't do it in a kind of out of the way and he doesn't ignore the chat he says excuse me you know i've yeah. got something to do now and uh, and one of my favorite scenes is when early on when him and lois are in an alleyway and he's clark and the mugger comes up a very finely dressed mugger holds a gun on him and clark plays the coward but he's also trying to convince the mugger 
that maybe he should rethink his life decisions. <laughs> and maybe that there's still, you know, have you considered, sir, doing this and this and this? And then he catches the bullet. And they, they directly, I think, do that scene again in, in the first Wonder Woman movie, I think. They, they, they do that almost shot for shot. He catches the bullet. He plays Clark to Lois, who's like, oh, Clark, you're rubbish. And then, he, then, then Superman, then Clark looks at the bullets crumpled up bullet in his hand and does this little grin that that he knows that you know mm. you know what's what's really going on here and i i think reeve is just beautiful and it's such a shame he doesn't get top billing in those first two movies he's mm. not even on the poster as a name for the first one it's brando hackman and in the sequel it's hackman reeve uh, <laughs> and then he gets reeve gets two terrible sequels after that but yeah. i think he will always be the quintessential superman Sadly, the tragedy of his life kind of, kind of completely it, it secures that forever. Really, I don't think I think every guy who comes along and tries to play Superman will always be told you're you're the second best guy. Yeah, I think he's the best they'll ever get because I think he was just superb. And I love I love the little curl of the hair and all that. You know, I love the fact that they don't try and make him cool. There's nothing. The costume is very much yes. This could be campy, mm-hmm. but we don't think it will be campy if we treat it dead straight. And that's the genius of that first movie in particular, is that Donna and Reeve, and particularly Tom Mankovich, who's working on the script, they who's working on the dialogue in the script, they say, we're going to treat particularly the stuff on Krypton, the stuff of, uh, of, super, of, uh, of Clark's early life, completely straight. And that we talk about Tim Burton making comic book movies dark in 89, but mm-hmm. really it's the fact that Donna showed you how to make a straight superhero movie in 78 that defines the genre i think even for people making movies at marvel now i think they they would bow their heads absolutely chapman listen thank you so much for talking to us i (laughs) I really could listen to you talk about this stuff all day long thank you so (laughs) much and uh please tell us that you'll come back for whatever the next thing is that i drag you in for i will talk about any old movies any old time (laughs) lovely to speak to you giles thank you (laughs) hey guys It's Editing Giles here. This interview with Chapman was incredibly detailed and insightful, as we come to expect from Mr. Chapman. If you'd like to hear the full interview, in all its film geek glory, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Podcast and sign up to our Bishop Waller Bridge tier to hear it along with additional interviews and special bonus episodes like our God in Gaming and God in Music episodes. And now... If you sign up to our Archbishop Spike Lee tier, you can hear the next episode, Captain America First Avenger, a week early before everyone else. So why not check it out? And now, back to the show. So Phil, that was Chapman. What do you think? I love listening to that guy talk. <laughs> it's just mm. like he talks with such passion about everything that yeah. he, he, you know, he sort of sets his mind to. I love the fact as well, I need to go and revisit Superman 2 now because I love the fact that they managed to just take some of the stuff that they filmed back to back and just sort of rejig it. Yeah. I wouldn't have, I'd, again, watching Superman 2, you'd, I, you'd, from what I remember, you 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 wouldn't know. So yeah, You're not you're not conscious of it at no, all. No, not, you, not you in know? the slightest. I'll tell you something else that I didn't remember from this film when I watched it as a kid. It is filthy. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got a bit of a... Lois Lane asking, how big are you? And then what colour are my underwear? It's like, uh, would you guys like a minute alone? The audience can just go step yeah, out like, in the foyer for a bit. I mean, I, I, if you all need an intermission just so you can go get down. like I, I'll be in my bunk. 
I'll be in my super bunk. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be in my steel reinforced bunk. <laughs> they want to smash hard. Do you know something else? Margot Kidder reminded me so much of. Do you know um, Charlotte Ritchie, the actress? Not aware of her. She's uh, the lead in uh, the show called Ghosts at the moment. She's been in loads of stuff. Okay. If you get, if you get the chance, just do a quick sort of side by side comparison of. Margot Kidder and Charlotte Ritchie. The two of them just look really similar to me, you know? I'll have to, I'll have to look it up and do a side-by-side side at some point. Absolutely. Now it's time for... <sighs> Finding the Faith in the Film. Finding the Faith in the Film! Yeah! Now, before we get started, there's just one thing we do... What, what, what's that noise? Hey, oh, hey, uh, uh. Hey, 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 hey! Did you really think that by recording the podcast behind lead, you could avoid me? You're talking about Superman, the one superhero I actually really passionately care about, maybe even love, and you're doing it without me. Sorry, Claire. Damn right. So, the first thing that we're going to focus on is the idea that Superman is a uniquely Jewish superhero. You know, I I didn't know this. Now, I would love to say that I was the first person to spot this, but I am at best the 6,289th person to spot this particular parallel. But it's definitely not talked about enough, so let's get into it. I'm looking forward to knowing more. Now, it needs to be said before we get into this that I am speaking about something that is outside of my particular culture. There wasn't a large Jewish population growing up in North Wales, and I've only had the privilege of knowing a few Jewish friends in my working life. So if anything I say is not quite right or is contrary to the Jewish experience as a whole, just hit me up and let me know and I'll tweak some things accordingly. Now, one of the most central figures in Judaism is a character that we also find in Christianity. Phil, can you guess who I'm talking about? I feel like it's a trick question. Jesus? No, no, the Jews in general, not really a big fan of Jesus. M- Moses? Moses. Ding, 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 Yay. ding, ding. Yes, oh. Moses. <laughs> so, Moses is one of the most important figures to Jewish people. Yeah. And I'm just going to read you Moses' origin story, if you like. See if any of this sounds familiar to you in any way. Okay. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. And that's from Exodus uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. So 
what we have here is a baby being sent away by their parents from what would almost be total destruction and death. That sound sound familiar? Yeah, I, I can see some parallels between Jor-El, which is Superman's dad, for anybody who doesn't know that. Um, obviously sending his son away from war-torn Krypton that's about to blow up in a, in a space pod. Yeah. Not quite covered in pitch, but there we go. <laughs> So the baby is found by a prospective parent who then adopts them as their own. And that baby then grows up to be the child of two worlds. And at some point, torn between a dual heritage, but nonetheless able to go on to achieve miraculous things. Yeah, the Moses, the whole Moses basket iconography is just very stark. When you put, when you put the two side by side, yeah, you can see it. Now, the next thing I wanted to talk about was Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, who are the creators of Superman. Now, both of them were Jewish immigrants, or rather, they were born to families who were Jewish-European immigrants. And like Stanley at Marvel some 20 years later, they could probably relate to the idea of looking the same, but being treated differently by people. Yeah. Similarly, Kalel looks just like a normal human man, but is anything but. Now, there's a reason that the comic book industry at this time appears to have so many Jewish creatives in it. And that's because the anti-Semitism of the mid-20th century America created a really strong barrier to getting any more prestigious jobs. You need to remember at this point, comic books and comic book creators were not considered special or valuable in any way. (laughs) I bet. I bet, I bet, like those people are absolutely kicking themselves now. Yeah. Biggest, biggest movie franchise ever. <laughs> millions, millions of pounds. Just yeah. Nowadays, a person would need to be exceptionally talented and phenomenally well connected to get a foot in the door at DC or Marvel. Yeah. yeah. Whereas at this point, a high school education and the ability to write or draw will be enough to get you a decent spot. Now, Jewish people were not able to get jobs in advertising or publishing, and, like, no one was really bragging about their work in comics. It's amazing how times change. So you have to remember that comic books back then were treated like they were disposable. That what some of them were, were, like, they'd be reprint collections of comic book strips that had run in the newspapers, and they were just kind of collected together. That's why getting hold of a copy of something like Action Comics 1 or Detective Comics 27, so that's the first appearances of Superman and Batman, respectively, are so rare. It it just wouldn't occur to anyone to yeah, keep a copy. It's, It'd be like, like, it's like getting a newspaper or something. But the more we look at Superman, the more Jewish parallels we see. So, stereotypically, Jewish people have are often thought to have like dark hair, and Superman has that really dark hair, and often... There's a like the idea of them having curly hair, so it's possible like that that single curl that Superman has, like the kiss curl, might be a, a a nod to this. It could be, I think. I think that's something that you see a lot in in different media. I would say whether whether that's mm-hmm. totally true, I couldn't say for certain. So, Phil, quick question: What's Superman's real name? Clark Kent. No, Kal-El. Yeah, that's right, Kalal. Now, the suffix L in Hebrew actually means of God. So you could interpret, and some people have defined the words Kalal, meaning voice of God in like ancient Hebrew. That's fascinating. I mean, it's it's all there, isn't it? Like you know, it's it's especially considering who wrote it as well mm-hmm. and their background. 
Um, it, it, yeah, it'd be daft. <laughs> it'd be daft not to at least you know, assume that maybe that was the case. The idea that Superman has a real name and a public name is also another Jewish element. At the time, many Jewish people knew that they could be identified and therefore persecuted for the name. So therefore, in Hollywood, uh, Bernard Schwartz became Tony Curtis. Ishu Danielovich Dembski becomes Kirk Douglas. Hell, even Stanley Martin Lieber became Stan Lee. Stan Lee. You could tell Stan couldn't be bothered yeah. with thinking up a new name. Saying, "I'll just drop the yeah, burr Stan- bit and go home early." Yeah, yeah. yeah I've, well, it's been a hard day. <laughs> just drop Spider-Man. Just you know, give us, give us a minute. You know? Now, this is a practice that continues this day. So, for example. Do you know who Winona Horowitz or Natalie Hirschlag are better known as? I'm going to assume Winona Ryder. Yep. And Natalie Portman? Yes. Ah. So I do remember like Winona Ryder saying, yeah, do you really think I would have gotten through the door for auditions if I'd had the name Horowitz? And I assume Natalie Hirschlag maybe have just changed it because, I don't know, it doesn't quite roll off the tongue, you know? So... We're going to dabble into a little bit of death of the author here, okay? A little bit of... We're going to just like tweet things here because we're going to talk about like conscious influences and unconscious influences, all right? So some of the conscious influences for Superman came from characters like Zorro or the Scarlet Pimpernel, you know, a superhero who has a, a secret identity. You with me? Yeah, yeah of course. Um. And he's he's visually inspired by the movie star Douglas Fairbanks. That's kind of the look they were they were going oh, for right. with the original comics, you know. But again, if we just sort of death of the author in this a little bit and just just stab the author a little, yeah, you just, know. just 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 light poking. <laughs> so what's interesting is if we think about things that could have unconsciously inspired the creation of Superman. So the term Superman was used fairly commonly in the 1920s and 30s just to refer to men doing phenomenal feats. However, if we go all the way back to the 1800s and we get to Friedrich Nietzsche's first reference to the Ubermensch, have you ever heard that term? The Ubermensch. I think I've heard that term before, but not to do with Superman. I think it might have been to do with a video game I was playing recently about Nazis. Yeah, well, it's... Do you know what? It's funny you mention the Nazis and how much those guys suck. We have a strict Nazis bad position on this podcast, and, and I, I don't care who anybody wants to hear it, you know? Yeah, if you disagree, don't. So the Ubermensch becomes a really popular idea in 1930s Nazi Germany at this time. If you think about it, Hitler's come to power like five years before, and things have just been steadily getting worse for any kind of minorities. And all the countries surrounding Germany are starting to get more and more anxious. And I I imagine that Siegel and Schuster are sort of seeing this from the distance. They're, they've probably got family back in Europe and that sort of thing. So yeah. if you consider the Ubermensch is really popular in Nazi Germany at this time, it's fun to see Superman as a reaction against this. If you imagine the strongest, most powerful man alive who's also a little bit jewish then i think i think jewish creators and jewish readers might have got a bit of a kick out of that you know yeah big fan of that that's like if you know if you had a you know a really strong like you know powerful man where he's from warrington and dead short you know like i'd be like yes splendid splendid finally you know I've only wanted this my whole life, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. this this links in with my, my overwhelming burning desire for there to be a Welsh superhero at some point. We've got we've got sort of like Scottish ones. <laughs> we've got a lot of Irish ones, English ones. I need a Welsh superhero sometime. What I'm hearing here 
is that your next big film project <laughs> should Captain be well Wales. Captain Wales <laughs> from Flint or something like that. I don't know. Or somewhere better or worse. I don't know. From Abergavenny. So there may also be some significance to the S on Superman's chest, which originally just stood for Superman. But by the 70s, it sort of evolved into the family crest for the House of L. And then it turns into the symbol for what on Krypton? Hope. Hope. Spot on. Yes. Yeah. So some academics have speculated that the simple S could just be a reaction to the Nazi swastika. You know, the, the swastika's always got sharp, hard lines, or something, whereas the S is nice and curvy and swoops, and it's kind swoops of beautiful, and you know? And you know what? It's in a nicer kind of colour as well. You know, you've got, you got your red and your yellow and your blue, and it's lovely. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Whichever way you look at it, it's easy to interpret Superman as an immigrant's desire to be accepted by mainstream society. Can you imagine if it meant like splendid? Splendid man. Splendid man. Splendid man. Oh, splendid man. Or sexy man. Splendid man definitely comes from Devon, you know. (laughs) So yeah, it's Superman is a bit of wish fulfillment. He's like an immigrant's desire to be accepted by mainstream society. Now, obviously, it's not always obvious to see exactly what came from Siegel and Schuster and what's been added in the subsequent decades by other writers. But Superman just, like I say, represents his hope to be to belong to an adopted society and to make a positive contribution to it. That's very interesting. Thank you, Jazz. Thank you very much. That's really cool. It's awesome. not something I would have thought of straight away. Yeah, I was quite tough with it as well. Now, Clash has come in with some distinctly less Jewish uh, <laughs> facts. So, <laughs> no, I wouldn't say less Jewish necessarily. No, um, um, yeah. I so I basically insisted on being on this podcast because I I love Superman so much. Yeah. Just. A big crush that goes back a long way. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that's fair, though. You know, what yeah, I mean? like, yeah. You know, big, big, strong bloke. You know, oh, makes sense. Just so, so pure and beautiful. Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm going to try and keep it in my pants. Um, <laughs> so, I wanted to start off by talking about um, a memory I have when I was a young teenager, lying in bed in the dark. Okay, all right, hang on. This is a family <laughs> show. All right, considering how much you've told us about how do, much you think you... about Superman, <laughs> starting about well, I was an adolescent teenage time bomb, <laughs> just in the dark in the bed of my own, and I decided to explore my own body. It's not going where you think it's going, Giles. Do, do, you, need a, do you need a minute? And anyway. I was still a bit scared of the dark at this age. And in fact, I still oh, a bit oh, am. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm still a bit scared of the dark mm-hmm. now, to be honest. And I really was at, at that age. Probably too old to be, but I was. And I remember wishing so hard that Superman was real so that I knew if anything horrible, any monsters came to hurt me, he would always swoop in and save me. And so I didn't need to be scared. And then it occurred to me as a young Christian, okay, but God's real. So he would sweep in and save me, just like Superman would. And as I've got older, and my understanding of and relationship with God has become a lot more complex, sometimes I I know that he actually doesn't always sweep in to save us. Sometimes horrible things happen to people and there's no guarantees in life that we're not going to suffer. And we know for sure that one day we're going to die. That's the one thing we all do know for sure. And I think Superman is a little bit of an antidote to that fear, like... You know, like I was thinking when I was when I was lying in bed in the dark, feeling scared. He's almost invincible, and more than that, he's almost unfailingly good and moral. 
and he defends the innocent and fights for the oppressed. And I think, you know, that harkens back to what, what Giles was saying about, um, you know, the, the Jewish people, the oppressed people, the um, persecuted people wanting this kind of pure hero that's going to that's gonna come and save them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we all want that, really, don't we? <laughs> I mean, it's, I think it says something as well that Superman not being human, saving mm. us. And I think that's I think that in itself is kind of a comfort, um, mm. you know, having a, a, another worldly being, and yeah. you could you could relate that back to God even as well, mm. being there to watch mm. over you to protect you. You might not you might not always not suffer, but you know you'll have someone there to yeah. help you pick up the pieces at so, the end. So much more reliable than a human being, I think. <laughs> Lots of things are. To continue, it's uh, it's not difficult to see the parallels between Superman and Jesus, and uh, and they have been made. And many times and in many different ways. Um, he's sent to Earth from another world by his father to save the human race. Um, and this parallel is particularly apparent in the Superman film, the original. Jurel describes him in the film as the light to show them the way, um, which really echoes some of the ways that Jesus was described in the New Testament um, as being the light and the way. And also the fact that um, he is described as the truth. Um, one of the things that Superman stands for is truth, as well as justice and the American way, of course. And do you remember in Smallville when they're like, I, I, I want to stand for truth and justice and other stuff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's a little bit ironic that Superman stands for truth, considering he lies about his identity so much. <laughs> Oh, I did not picture you coming for Superman quite like that, you know. <laughs> Superman's a flipping hypocrite. I mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> in that yeah, example at least so yeah. yeah yeah um and also what what you were saying about um the s symbol being the symbol for hope like jesus is the hope of the world from from christian's point of view like mm-hmm. he he is hope and light and love and truth and all of those those wonderful things so you know you can definitely um make that comparison with superman you could also compare Jorel to an Old Testament prophet <laughs> preaching to his people that their world is doomed if they don't change their ways. Mm. I mean, and, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, he has a point. <laughs> yeah, the, the, he has a bit of a point there. He's just like, look, I've done, I've done the maths, the science. I've done all the science. It's mm. not going to um, end well, guys. It's going to end in about 15 minutes. So, yeah. you know, if we, yeah. if we all just want to maybe just either book up or just do a little pray. You know, yeah. So many of the Old Testament prophets are like, guys, would you just listen? Would you please just pull it together? Oh, my gosh. And Jorel definitely has the same kind of tone yeah. going on. Yeah. Um, no, I, well, I, I mean... I, I feel sorry for Jor-El. <laughs> Got a little lot of ways, you know. He's I mean, like, like he's on a planet full of entire climate deniers, you know, and uh, and like the the timescale so much tighter. Instead of saying, "Hey guys, in ten years this could be a real problem," he's saying, "No, seriously, thirty days, and then the planet's going to be destroyed." And they're like, "No, sure, it's totally fine. Have a mimosa," it's, you know. It's just yeah. ridiculous. Anyway, um. Also, Superman is raised in a humble setting and grows up to become the saviour of the world, just like Jesus. Um, and he spends time in his fortress. He spends time in his fortress of solitude to learn from his father, just like Jesus does in the wilderness before he starts his his real mission. I think it becomes more interesting when you consider the Jewishness of Superman's creators and the fact that they are 
in some ways creating the Jewish Messiah, which is not quite the same thing. Jesus was not what most Jewish people were expecting at the time. They expected a warrior and a champion who would throw off the oppressors of the Jewish people, which, uh, you know, in Jesus's time was the Romans, but there have been many and varied ones over the years. And Superman uses force and his unrivaled physical strength and power to protect people. And I think that's what the Jewish people were and, and possibly still are hoping for. I mean, yeah, yeah I, can, I, I can see them wanting to have, like, you know, this strong, powerful, godlike figure that just smite smite their enemies i suppose or at least very least smite the people who are against them well do you know what this is something that comes back uh a little bit to what chapman said about superman being so polite and how where he is as clark kent as the as the mugger you know he could just sort of like he's trying to convince him that there are other ways to to sort of do this and he doesn't have to mug them and the rest of it whereas as superman he could just punch through your face do you know what i mean you know? <laughs> so you could just yeah. rip him dead fast and he'd be dead you know yeah. so yeah. So but, there's a there's a real gentleness to him, which I think is kind of reflected in Jesus in the sense that you're kind of stepping on my. Sorry, sorry, my bad, my bad. I there's I'm nothing interesting to, to see here, and I haven't noticed anything. I'm coming to it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and when you can, as as Giles mentioned, when you consider the fact that the first Superman comic came out just before the start of the Second World War, it, it definitely adds a real white weight to this desire for a mighty protector and Superman is also compared to Samson, an Old Testament figure who is granted supernatural strength by God and I think this is more what the Jewish people were expecting from a Messiah mm. and Jesus yeah. Jesus is not this it's hard it was hard for many people to accept that he was the Messiah because he was so unlike what they were expecting, he didn't fight he didn't raise rebellions, he didn't incite violence against the oppressors his fight was on a different spiritual level. He came to demonstrate the nature of God through the ultimate act of love, which meant giving his body up to pain and destruction. Another thing I noted in the film is um, Clark Kent's willingness to look really stupid <laughs> um, on his path to hide his identity. Like the fact that he kind of, he creates this bumbling character <laughs> that's Clark Kent. I think, um, it's, I think it's adorable. Like, it is like, really adorable. He's, he's, he's talking to that mugger, he catches that bullet, and he just sort of looks at the crushed bullet in his hand and just sort of smiles. Mm. As if to say, like, ha, I could have... I could have killed you, yeah, but I didn't. I tried to change you, and I still didn't die. Yeah, he's got such this inner confidence and assurance that he's not afraid to just look a bit silly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's not quite the same. But one thing about Jesus is that he he didn't really care what people thought about him. Mm. He just wasn't really interested in in people's opinions. He just wanted to be who he was and who he was meant to be. There is a strength in that, isn't there? In mm. in looking silly, you know, mm. and they're just not being afraid to to just make a fool of yourself because you know that you're confident in who you are. Like I can't imagine Andrew Tate ever deliberately just doing something for the lols, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, and hopefully we won't have to imagine Andrew Tate doing anything yeah, pretty soon. Yeah, for a very yeah. long time. Yeah. yeah. To be fair, he, he was intimidated by a, a teenager <laughs> and went to, and then ended up inadvertently getting arrested for it, so it shows, <laughs> which I feel like is a good study of his character. Yeah, so. Superman, sorry, Andrew Tate is exactly the kind of villain that Superman would have taken down. Mm-hmm. Like, like as a side character. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my uh, my motto in life is whimsy will defeat evil. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, to finish, um, it's for me, it's Superman's unwavering morality that makes him most like Jesus, not his physical strength and power. Um, despite that, despite his just utter strength and invincibility, he's incredibly gentle and peaceful. He doesn't want to dominate, and generally he tries to avoid violence on the whole. And for me, this is what makes him so easy to love. It's that chosen gentleness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. I think that's what makes him so popular with, with children as well, mm. just how, how gentle he is, you know? Yeah, he makes a he makes a very good sort of role model in that respect. Mm. You know, so super powerful. could do basically whatever he wants physically. Yeah. Just made me remember um, there's that moment in the film where he goes and rescues the cat out the tree for the little girl, <laughs> which is adorable. And that makes me think of Jesus because he like um, there's a bit in the Bible in the New Testament where um, like all of these kids are like milling around Jesus and and just like wanting to play with him and stuff, I think, basically. And the disciples are like, get these kids out of the way. Oh, my gosh, they're bugging the Messiah. This is really awkward. He's the Messiah. Yeah. And Jesus <laughs> is like, no, no, let the, let the children come to me. Like, he's he's just so humble and so happy to just mess about with the kids. Um, And I think that's that for me. That's the sign of a real man right there. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Okay, that brings to an end our Finding the Faith in the Film section. That was awesome. Thank pow, you pow, so pow. much. Thanks. Thank you, Claire. Hi, oh, you're welcome. And Giles, obviously, but Claire oh. too. Thank you for our guest joining us today. Thank you, sweetheart, for finding us in our uh, in our lead-lined bunker. Uh, I will always find you. <laughs> can't work out whether to be turned on or terrified. <laughs> Which just, pretty much just, sums you know, up our sex life in general, really. I was going to say, just go for both <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> for more information about Giles and Claire's sex life, check out the Fleabag episode, <laughs> which is currently still our, our most popular episode ever. So, oh, I, And, and I can guarantee I was just as uncomfortable then. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we have that effect on everybody. (laughs) Uh, Before we go, I just wanted to give a shout out to some of our listeners in some very far-flung places, okay? So, did you know we get a lot of downloads in Uganda? That is a genuine surprise. (laughs) Over the the past uh, few years... We've had a few, quite a few downloads in Uganda. We've had 71 downloads in Uganda. We've had 14 in Russia. We've had oh, 53 in Australia, flipping heck. Okay. Seven downloads in Brazil. One in Argentina. Our Mr. Argentina fan or Ms. Argentina fan or whatever the hell you want to call yourself, Argentina fan. Thank you very much. We yeah, nice love one. the fact that you probably downloaded us by mistake. Ecuador. <laughs> we got nine downloads in Algeria. And for some reason, we're pretty popular in Germany as well. 58 downloads in Germany. So as well as obviously... 628 downloads in the United States, 124 in Canada, and 2,800 in good old Blighty. So I just wanted to say, (laughs) wherever you are, thank you so much for listening. I tell you what, just let us know where you're from and why you like the show. That'd be great. You can get in touch with us on Facebook, on our Instagram page, or you can leave us a review. Yeah, Um, or we're on Twitter as well. Oh yes, of course. Yes, yes. I see. I don't do the Twitter, so. Yeah. <laughs> and I should say, every time a listener gets in touch, leaves a review or anything like that, Giles absolutely loses his mind. It honestly <laughs> makes not just his day but his week. 
So, you know, if you want to put a smile on that little face, it'd be really nice if you got in touch. <laughs> that is that right there is is true power. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, if Giles is happy, Clara's happy. So do me a favor, guys. <laughs> awesome source we will leave it there thank you so much for joining us listeners we'll see you next week for Captain America bye Gordon Film is hosted and created by Giles Goff and Phil Coleman mixing and editing by Giles apologies if I didn't quite get it right on this one I know the audio quality wasn't amazing our logo was designed by Julie Walsh and our theme tune was composed by Rick Lee sensitivity listening by Rob Walton fact checking by Aidan Jones. Waffle editing by Natalie Minica. Goddard Films a Dash production. Please rate and review. Unless it's a one star, in which case, tell Phil by engraving your review on the side of a kryptonite bullet and shooting it at him the next time he leaves the house. But don't shoot to kill, guys. That's a bit much.